Welcome to West Virginia Commonplace. My name is JR. I'm the host of this show. Sometimes my co-host Stacy's with me, but she's off on adventures that happen uh, in the evening time, which is, could be work or errands. Today, I have with me Mar- Margaret Agard. Margaret Agard has a lot to talk about today. Before I even introduce her, let's go and go through this. Uh, she is a person that is going to be near and dear to you because she handles things that other people sometimes cast to the side. And it's about your faith and it's about your journey with God. And that is something that is, you know, it's kind of, it's not taboo, but sometimes people just, they, they, they don't keep their daily life going with God. They only go to God in need. So Margaret, without further ado, Please let the audience know who you are and why you are here today. Well, Jr., I'm I'm um, gosh, I'm a, I used to be a West Virginian, and now I did what old two years have written on a third one about in his footsteps, and my my whole connection, my whole um where these books came from was this idea that I can talk to God and he will talk to me. And so that's where that came from. I, I'm a mother of eight, stepmother wow. of seven. They were never all in the house at the same time. My husband and I were older when we married and I was an executive in the high tech industry, one of the few women. And then I just left all that to um, enjoy writing books. Okay. Okay. Now let, let's talk about some things. Cause you have a lot of titles to your name and I'll let you explain every title. Um, something that struck a chord with me and I was amazed. Uh, i noticed the Reiki healing and then a Christian myst- mystic. Could you please go into detail and explain to us what, what that means? Yeah. I'm going to put my glasses on cause I'm going to read this. Um, Christian mystics are people who seek the direct union of the soul with the divine through contemplation and love. Now, I expect, so as soon as I read that definition, I thought, oh, that's me. And I know a lot of people who say, that's me. That's me. And back in the early Christian church, these were people who also believed that you could hear God's voice for yourself. And that, uh, and that what came out of that was a sense of love for those around you. Okay. Now, my next question is this. Uh, with the Reiki healing, how does that play in to what you do uh, as a Christian? Because some people take Reiki as an art and move it over into another spectrum because I've had people on that do Reiki, but they're not Christian. So how do you incorporate that into what you do? It's interesting. I I, I didn't intend to become a Reiki healer. <laughs> I was actually taking a massage therapy course. And is I attune you to Reiki and ki or chi prana is um, life force. And so the idea he said is that um, as you become attuned to that, then as you work on people's bodies, you can feel through your hands and this, this energy force where they especially need help or massage or whatever you're doing. 
And so I actually thought about that for a while. I spent some say people's <laughs> people and they would say oh i can feel like heat coming up like coming up right up through my toes right up to the top of my head they could feel this life force and so i went to god and i said is this wrong <laughs> like should i be doing this and it was you know all good comes from me the the western world doesn't have you know a lock on what's good that Christ healed by touching people. And we know about priesthood power and what he gave to the apostles. But we also know that he said people can have the faith to heal and be healed. and Or Paul said that anyway. And so there was, for me, a sense of it's good. It's doing good for people. And so I don't have to back off from it. And so I've, I've just kept up the Reiki practice. And that's amazing. And I thank you for doing that. That's one of the gems inside of this episode, because people, like I said, I told you about how people in different realms use it. And um, that's great. Now, we'll go a little bit in depth in, into your life now. We'll make you more personable for the audience. Um, we all grow up in different uh, iterations of Christianity in the United States. But the one thing that's always taught to us at an early age is we're going to church. Doesn't matter what day church is, because some people didn't go to church on Sunday. Some people went to church on Wednesday, so different things. So we go through that that stage, and it's usually from the time you're a baby up until the age of 10 or 11 or 12 in my generation and your generation, because I'm 1985. So I'm still part of that generation that was that didn't get streamlined into <laughs> you know what we have now and this new generation. Nothing bad on you guys, just different generation, different morals and things. So after the age of 10, at least for me, I had the choice to go further with going to church or turn out like some people that stopped going to church. So in your case, in your life, um, were you given that choice to decide if you were going to stay in the church or leave the ch church? And what age did that happen? It, it really wasn't in my case, but I don't know that I even didn't want to go to church. Um, I, I'm one of those people who immediately responded to it. I can remember walking into a church once when I was six, and I'd heard a lot, learned a lot about Jesus, you know, vacation Bible school, and Jesus loves me, this I know. And I thought, um, I felt something. And I like to say, the only way I can describe it is, up to then, I had learned a lot about Jesus, and that day, I felt that I met him. And I knew older people who said, you know, I pray, I talk with God, I, I, he leads me places. And that is the experience I had and that I continued to seek after. So I, I, I didn't doubt church, but there was a time in my life, and I was actually in my 50s, when I thought I never questioned Jesus. You know, as I was going through this time when I thought I should look at what I've never questioned and question that. And the only thing I could, I mean, like I never, I hope so you said 27 to 72. So we don't have any kids on here. I never believed in Santa Claus. I mean, as a four-year-old, I thought, well, that's a pile of stuff. But I always believed in Jesus, you know. Right. And so I, I really went to God and I thought, okay, I know I'm connecting to this being that isn't me. 
because the answers I get are so outside of what I would come up with. And I'm going to ask, should I believe in Jesus? Maybe I should go become a Buddhist or something. I don't know. And so that's what I said. Should I believe in Jesus? And the answer I got was, have you ever done anything you could never make up for? And I, just that one question, but that opened everything for me that I thought, of course, without Jesus, the universe is neither merciful nor, what's the word I want? Not judgmental, but where you get what you, what you are owed. You know, when people are hurt, justice, it's neither just nor merciful without Jesus. And with Jesus, it's both just and merciful. And so I thought, yeah, I, I need Jesus. Like no matter, if I did nothing but good from now on, I would never make up for the bad I've done in the past. If there was such a thing as reincarnation, which I don't believe in, it wouldn't matter if I was born a hundred times and did nothing but good. There's still all these things I've left in my past that the only way those things can be rectified is through Jesus. All right. And I definitely agree with that. So we get through the formidable years, uh, just like everyone else. You get up into your adulthood and in adulthood for us is 18, 21. So, okay. so, so we'll say like around 21, 22, you're deep in your faith, probably the heaviest from the time you were born till uh, then. Did anything happen in your faith that made you stronger? And I'm not asking for a trauma. I'm asking, did something happen in your life that made your faith stronger when you were an adult? Because when we we're a child, we're, you know, we're sheltered by our parents we don't see the full world for what it is. It's true. Well, some of us do, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, ma'am. But, yeah. I heard someone in church say something like this. Well, I get up and I pray, and I know I'm supposed to stay on my knees until I hear what God is telling me. And I thought, well, what? <laughs> like, what? What's she talking about? And um, so I thought, you know, I don't even know if I could really define that I could hear him just by staying. And so I went to God and I said, I don't know that I know how to recognize your voice. Although I, I know I've gotten answers and felt that peace and calm, but some actual like thought that would be him. And so, and I don't even know, I mean, if I haven't figured it out by now, I don't know how you can teach me, but could you help me learn that? And over the next week, I had three experiences where I felt like I should do something make a meal, invite someone to dinner, um, drop off this thing for someone. And each time I argued with it, oh, I don't have time for that. doesn't make sense. It's like that. Right. And the thought kept coming back about the third time it came back. I thought, Oh, well, maybe this is God. That's what I just prayed about. Right. And each time I did that thing, I actually write some details in the books on this, but it was the people said to me, we have been praying for this. And I got, Oh, so that's how God is for me. What those experiences were, how I can learn to recognize when he speaks to me. And that absolutely deepened my faith because at that point is when I really began to go to God and, and, and just communicate with him. Just, I, I could write in my journal, write questions. I could ask questions. He answered them, you know, and, and I knew I could trust it. Okay. And one thing I, I want to want to talk about, and this is one thing, being a person of faith myself, being a Christian, um, people always want to know 
what the answer is. What is the answer you get? And I always tell people this, the answer that you get from God, in my opinion, is something of yourself. You, it figures into you are. I don't have a way to figuratively just go out here and say, this is the answer that he gave me. I can say that this is the result of the, of the answer. This is how this plays out for me. What is your perception and your take on the answer that you get from God? If you were to try to explain it to someone, because that's the hardest thing that that's the first thing that, uh, that uh, I always say, the scientific method of thinkers, they try to question and see, Oh, what is this answer? What, how do you prove to me that you got this answer? What what is your thoughts on that, and when? How do you handle that? Uh, well, people have asked sometimes if I would pray and get their answer for them. I'm like, no, but I'll help you pray and get your answer because you can have a direct relationship with God. And how do I know it's God? It's so often it just made no logical sense, and. I can tell you, I mean, you could come up with things like, well, maybe you are just psychic or maybe you are just an empath and you can feel right. Like I, people would rather believe that sometimes than to believe there's a God, but it'd be like, I'm like canning tomatoes when we're West Virginia canning tomatoes. And there was a thought you need to leave the house at five and go to town. And I thought I have no reason to go to town, but you know, I want you to leave the house at five and go to town. So I set an alarm. I was a little bit after, you know, because when tomatoes are in the steamer, you wait, right? You don't yes. just walk out the door. Okay. And so I was a little bit late leaving and I get to the <clears throat> to the highway. And as I go down, I see there's a person walking down the highway carrying like a jug of water. And first I thought it was a woman. I pick him up with some kid in his 20s. And he'd been walking literally 30 miles that day. He was so hot. Because, you know, the tomatoes are on in July and August. So that's yes. <laughs> And as I'm giving him a ride, I'm hearing his whole story. And I'm thinking, is this why I was here? And the guy's like, yeah, that's why you were here, to give that kid a ride. And, and so I'm giving him, I took him to a truck stop. And I had some cash that I was going to put in the bank. And I, God never tells me this. But he was like, I want you to give him 20 bucks. And I thought, well, I, I actually have 20 bucks. <laughs> so gave him 20 bucks. And as I pulled away, not while he was in the car, but as I pulled away, I felt God say to me, see how much I love that boy. And I thought, I know that's God. So I don't even know what to say to people. This happens to me all the time. I, I don't think I'm psychic. I think it's God. And I can agree with that because it's those moments that you just know. And and for the audience, um, if you do have these moments or if you uh, have anything of of just a notion or something that happens to you, I would like you to head over to www.inhisfootsteps.com. Uh, there's a contact form there for Margaret. You can get in touch with her and you can get more involved in the things that she has going on and she can help you. She has memoirs. That's the next thing I would like to jump into. You have memoirs in his footsteps. What inspired you to come up with this? And I'm going to throw a little stick in here, a little filler in the pot so you can get everything together. Um, Cause sometimes people do it in different ways. I do a podcast. I do a podcast because at some point I didn't have the opportunity to communicate the way I should have when I was grieving. And now I'm a voice or a channel to help people deal with things. So I continue to do the podcast because I want people to have a, a well-rounded mind and find out about different things. So in your case, what inspired these, these books? And then after that, 
I need to know about your your daily to do list that you gave God. Okay, uh, it was actually God. It was one day God, and this is 1998 or nine. He's like, I want you to write your life on the internet. Well, let me tell you, um, WordPress didn't come out till like 2004. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> like, how do you do this? And I actually just like futzing around. I had a website, and I thought I'm just not sure. And then he found, uh, he, he sent me to a site. I, I stumbled across the site because I was praying, like, I don't know. And I started writing these stories about what happened to me with God, but it was a private journaling site. Okay. And after I had been doing that for a couple of years, it was, I want you to make this into a book. And I, so I thought, well, the way most people make books, right, is they go through their journals and they make a story. So I was like trying to do that. And it was, the answer was no, these, this is the book, these stories like I tell the story about how I learned to hear his voice or um, I, I tell a story about purple, like you can't get purple without red. And a lot of what people get in their lives, who they come become the best part of themselves has come from some trauma that they've overcome with God's help. And a friend who had been through trauma said that to me, you can't get purple without red. Everybody likes purple. Nobody wants the red. They just want the blue skies, but you cannot get purple without red. So there's things like that in the book. And um, so that was how it came about. It was God said, do this it was not on my to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now you start writing these books. You have um, one that has already been available. You've got one that's just released and you got one on the way. Tell us yes. about the, tell us about the first book just a little bit real fast, if you don't mind. Okay. I actually think of them, eventually I'm going to bundle them, make them a set. I think of them as faith, hope, and charity, but those words aren't in it. And there's hardly any scriptures. If anybody thinks complain about my book, it's like, you talk about God, but you don't have a bunch of scriptures. And I was like, no, no, it's very personal. But the first one, I turned my life over to God by giving him my daily to-do list. I, and it started when I was overwhelmed, a single mom, six children still at home, working full-time, full, sole financial support, and had gone back to school to finish my last year to get my bachelor's degree. And I could just too much. I could not possibly do it all. And I began to say, here's what I have to do today. See, the last, and I don't know how to do it all. So what do I have to do? And God would help me. I'd go through the list with him. By then I'd learn to hear his voice and be like, I don't need to do this. I don't need to do this. And then he'd say, and... Also, I want you to call someone. <laughs> there was a little bit of service in there. And it was um, eventually, JR, that evolved to where I began to say, well, instead of what do I have to do today, it was what do you want me to do today? And at first I felt uh, needy, like, what is wrong with me? I can't figure out my own life. Does God really want this? But I was reading through two things in the Bible one day, and one was hmm, where in John, Christ says, you know, I always have the Father with me because I do always those things that please him. And he was always going off and praying and then coming back and like, oh, well, we're going to Samaritan today, you know, like that, right? Um, so, and then I thought about the Lord's Prayer where we pray, um, my thy will be done on earth the way it is in heaven. I'm trying to imagine the angels in heaven 
coming up to God, like, God, I'm so busy. I have so much to do. I'm under so much stress. Can you help me with this? Or do we think they're going up to God and say, I'm on, I'm, I want to be part of what you're doing, God. What do you want me to do today? And so that's when my life really began to change, when I began to pray that prayer. Okay. I like that. Oh, and that's what that to-do book is about. So that's what that book is about. And it's interesting because at the end of the book, what I say is, this is the truth. Um, if you ask people, does God love you? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah. But you know where it is? Up there in their heads. In their hearts, they really think, but not like, because I'm really not that good enough for that, right? There's that thought. I'm really not good enough for that. And at the end, what I, what I got out of it, all these times he sent me out to help people was... I used to do good so that God would love me. But now that I know how much he loves me, I want to do good so other people will feel that same love coming from him through me. Okay. And that's powerful. And I like that because people do question sometimes because even I've done it. I love God a certain way, but I don't think that I'm getting unconditional love. You know, that's just human nature, human intuition, mm-hmm. I guess, on that one. So tell us about the second book. What happened? What's going on in that book? So instead of giving part of my life to God, my husband and I wanted to serve as mission missionaries. And so that way we could do it 24-7, right? I think of that as hope. Like faith was, I had to have faith that I could hear that voice and he was leading me in the right direction. Hope was we can send, we can go out and bring hope to the world through Christ. And so I call emails from the mission fields. It's just the things that we learned, the experiences we had, bringing just the miracles that happened. And our our hearts changed. Our hearts changed. Okay. So that's deep. Y'all just, just went and did these missions and helped people that probably wouldn't have gotten help otherwise. And um, one thing that I love, about Christianity and people when we're out here helping, we don't look at it as philanthropy or anything like that. We don't look for the gratification or any type of satisfying factor from this. We do this just from the heart. So after this and hitting into your third book, your third book, uh, I don't want you to give too much away, but I'm looking at the title of it, Love Becoming One with Parker. So here's, you know, I want to just slip this in here, Jr. because we talked about hearing God's voice and, yes. you know, praying. And I, I want to, I say this to people all the time. If you're praying for something and an opportunity to provide some act of service comes up, do it because that's where your answer is going to be. So I, I'm big on service. In this case, it was again, one of those things where God's like, um, I want you to get ready. You're going to meet the man you're going to marry in the fall. And I still had my two youngest sons at home in high school. And I thought, "Mm, no, thank you. (laughs) Because I just don't see stepsons and stepdads getting along. Haven't had a lot of experience where I saw that look good. And, and then, so I do meet Mary Parker and you would think, you know, a match made in heaven, la la, except he's the son of an alcoholic, abusive father. He has some issues. He doesn't drink, never drank. He was the opposite, but, you know, there's like wounds and control issues. And I had my own issues. It didn't look good at first. And so I was, huh, I don't know what to do. Should I stay in this marriage? And God is like, give me a promise. All will be healed as a result of this marriage. All will be made whole. Those were the words. And in the Bible, when Christ used the word, the faith hath made thee whole, he's referring to 
spiritual and emotional healing, as well as any physical healing that people needed. And so that's what I held on to. And it has been a healing marriage to both of us. We've just celebrated our 25th anniversary. The two teenage sons who were home, call, say they will say, Parker is my dad. He's the one I think of as my father. And that's powerful. And I thank you for uh, letting people know that marriage is ups and downs and that people in flaws don't stop you from continuing loving each other and, and being people um, too many times in society and just in general, the consensus now is just give up. Don't try to fix things. Don't try to work on people. You know, they, we always have this whole uh, deal of we'll work on ourselves, but we won't take time to work on others when they mean something to us. We just let them go away and seeing that in 25 years of doing that, that's amazing. So definitely give yourself an amazing kudos uh, on that one. Well, and I should say the book starts with a divorce from my first husband. We've been married 25 years, but it was, it was that question that question that kept me in the marriage, like, when do you give up? And you should never give up. And But this is so painful, and it's so hard on the children until God said, give up now. <laughs> it's actually hurting the children, not helping them. And so I, I've had both, the one where God said, give up now, and the one where God's like, stay in this. It's going to work out. It's going to be amazing, which is so what type of prayer did you do you do inside these relationships or in this relationship to improve it? Because everyone has a certain way of praying or a certain um, mode and means to to get themselves motivated. And God puts his purpose into that uh, prayer. So I have three. Okay. One is help me to understand this person as you do. And that actually happened. When I was praying over this 15 year old when my son was 15. And uh, then I just applied that to the marriage because I, all I saw was this, people have had 15-year-olds. If you had a 15-year-old, I loved him, but I didn't like him much. Okay, so God flipped that for me. And then help me to love this person as you do, which is really just different than to help me to understand. And the third one I pray is, is it me, God? Now, I've only prayed that a few times because every time it turned out, it was me. I wasn't happy about that. <laughs> like once my... I, my husband, you know, when you used to have to unlock the car doors with a key and, yes. and the other person could lean over and unlock it. And somehow it got a little slow and we ended up, he was locking it. I was unlocking. I was like that, right? Was, we kept going back and forth. And finally I stopped and he gets in, he snaps at me. Like, like, why did you do? And I thought, oh my goodness, you could have laughed about that. And so then I got my feelings hurt, you know, so I'm just driving along with my hurt feelings and saying, how am I supposed to make a good marriage with someone like this? We could see I was trying to help him and he snapped at me. So is it me, God? Thinking he'd say no. <laughs> but he, said, he said, do you really want to know? And I thought, well, I did ask. So yes, I do. Want to know. And he said, you are too easily offended. And I could have just blown that off, right? Instead of getting my feelings all hurt. And I began to look as different things happen in the future. Sometimes I would just think for a minute, well, am I just being too easily offended? So those three prayers, help me to see this person as you do. Help me to love this person as you do. And is it me? Okay. And that's how you can take you can take those things, audience, and use those, and you can focus in on your relationship and, and take time with things. Patience is the key in life, and patience seems to be something that the world is getting very, very thin on. Now, Margaret, this next book's coming out, um, and you'll have a saga going on after this uh, third well, one. 
that comes out. Um, I, I do have to ask certain questions uh, about being an author because uh, as a content creator, as you know, because you are a content creator, as we speak, we both are. Being an author is a hard, it is a hard thing to do. Uh, public speaking is hard, but I think being an author and taking certain hits that you have to take and uh, just certain type of criticism you have to get takes a lot. So here's my question to you. In writing the first book, you go through the necessary procedures, proofreading and everything else, and you pass it along to a family member. Who was the first family member to read your book? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, probably my my younger sister, Kara. And then I have a sister-in-law who's in English, you know, has her master's in English, gave it to her. And I, my family was very supportive. I would say that. My family was, was supportive. Um, the, and I get emails from people telling me that, how much the book has changed their life and also how good it makes them feel. People will say, I read your book because it makes me feel good. And I don't read many books more than once, but when I'm feeling bad, sometimes I'll just pick up and read part of your book. So I really felt as if I wrote it with the spirit because the spirit makes us feel good. Um, So did I take hits? Yeah, there are people who don't like my book and they tell me that. (laughs) But I go to um, writers conferences, right? And there was a guy there who was, you know, he's best-selling author, sold tens of thousands of his books. And he's like, I I don't listen to those people. They aren't my fans. Like They're they're never going to be happy with how you write it. They're never going to be happy. You have plenty of people who like your books and how you write. Just focus on them and do it for them. Yeah, I definitely like that. I can I go with that. And because um, that's one thing I, I never tie into the criticism portion because that's not w- what I'm after. So when you were writing this first book, you hit a point that you had to stop because in any type of writing, I don't care what it is, there's some type of self-care you're doing for yourself. There's some type of self-healing that goes on and you remember something. In that first book, when did you stop writing for a little bit? When, when, when did you get to a point where it was kind of like, Hey, this is, it's never fiction, but it's like this reality has hit me again. So let me make sure there's, there's two ways we could talk about that. And one is, did it, um, was there a time when there was, um, painful to write it? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Yes. When you're writing memoirs, there are painful times. I can remember, um, I said to Parker, I'm going to work on the book today. And he came in, I'm all curled up in a fetal position on the bed, basically. And he said, I thought you're going to work on the book. I said, yeah, this is what it looks like. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking of some painful times, but the nice thing about that is it, you've been through the time and you want to be able to write it truthfully and honest. So you have to connect to those emotions, but you know, you got through that and that there's hope and that your life changed and the way you think has changed. So you don't have to stay there very long, but it is painful. It can be painful. All right. And then my last author question, after you get done writing the book, it's ready to go. Um, and you get it out there. People pick it up, uh, different formats because people read stuff on Kindle, they buy physical books. You get your first reviews and things like that. And you get that email that you help someone and like I said before, in, in our portion of religion, we do not, we are taught 
and we are always grateful for what happens. We don't look at what we can do for others. We just do stuff without intent, without interior motive. And that's what you do. And I do applaud you on that. What did it feel like inside to know that you helped someone like that? You could actually see something that, you know, that you help someone get to an attainable point in life where their life was not really bad, but they were in a rough spot and they picked it up because of your book. How did that make you feel inside? It, It does make me feel good. It makes me feel as if it was worth all the effort. That's how it makes me feel. And especially because what people say to me that especially touches me is when they say, I want that kind of relationship with God. And then they begin to make an effort to have it. That's, that's what I like to hear the most. Okay. Okay. And, and you know, it makes curled up in a fetal position on the bed all worth it. <laughs> right. Now, another thing that we do on this show, I pay homage to, um, this news magazine, it used to come on uh, 2020 on ABC. As a child, we watched TGI Friday, and then on Friday nights, right at 10 o'clock, it would come on. You'd have John Stossel, you'd have Diane Sawyer, and you'd have the greatest interviewer of my generation, Barbara Walters, come on. Oh, yeah. When Barbara Walters came on to to do her portion of the show, Diane Sawyer would always have the good, better interview to me. But Barbara Walters would just come in. She would interview someone. And sometimes it would run over into the 11 o'clock news and it left you with this thought, either it moved you or put you in a different place. And it sounds the same, but it's different. So real quick, we're going to do some 2020 questions. Are you ready? Oh my gosh. I hope. Did you warn me about this? I'm ready. Not not at all. Not at all. It's part of the show. Part of the show. (laughs) This is one thing that brings people to the show. So here we go. Um, The idea with the 2020 questions is this real quick uh, to get more personable. Because anybody can talk through a screen, anybody can be heard, but when someone hears you and can see you, like they're going to see the video at some point and see, you know, they'll, they'll, or they'll hear the audio, they, they feel like they're beside you. And that's something that I try to uh, incorporate in the show. So here goes the first question. It's a simple, easy one. You're out here helping everybody in the world. And it's a, you help everybody. Basically you write books you take care of an army. You basically have two basketball teams. Your family could have been one basketball team in the South and the North and West Virginia, basically <laughs> with everyone. So at the end of the day, when everything's done and you're sitting down and um, I don't know if you drink lemonade or um, if you drink tea, but at the end of the day, it's time to take care of yourself. Husband's already been taken care of or whoever else is involved with you that day. What do you do for self-care? I I actually do contemplative prayer where I just sit with the Holy Spirit. I just sit and feel loved. Now, on some days when I don't even want to do that, I guess my self-care would be I just sit and watch um, the Philippine guys build things without saying anything. Like, oh, look, what are they doing now? Oh, it looks like maybe that's going to be a swimming pool. Yeah, that's what I do. I either turn to God and just sit with contemplative prayer or watch the Filipino guys. Okay. Okay. Now... Your cup stays half full sometimes. Your cup is full sometimes. What do you do to get that cup back to being completely full? And I know it sounds like the first question I asked, but it's entirely different in this instance. I go out here in the world. I do these interviews. I hear back from people. I concentrate on what I can do to help them. But sometimes I get overwhelmed in that day because sometimes I get a lot of messages. And to refill me, I just, it's a, it's a, uh, just a, um, 
a song that I listen to. Uh, me and my mom both listen to it. It's a spiritual song by uh, Canton Spirituals. I'm dependent on you. And that spiritual, I listen to it and I just know that that sometimes that, that's something I got to do. People are depending. So I'll fill my cup back up and I'll get back out there for the world. And how I keep that cup full is knowing that if I ever need that kind of help, it's there for me. I have a place to go to when I used to think that I didn't have a place to go to. So that's how I fill mine up. So how do you do yours? Well, I sometimes I call people who make me laugh, like my Aunt Donna. And uh, sometimes I, I, what really calms me down, and I, I can have some like anxiety, is I listen to this music that uh, I don't know how to describe it. They always put it on YouTube as healing music, right? And I remember hearing once that a woman had said she'd had a near-death experience. And, and and she wasn't really paying attention, but all of a sudden she realized there was this really low music playing. And when she, you know, was in a music store, when she heard something like it, and, and then they put a link up to this music. And I thought, oh, that's exactly what I'm listening to. What calms me down is this music that I guess is music in heaven. Maybe not, but that's how I think of it. Okay. So you write the first book, you write the second book. Yeah. And you, you get done with the second book. At that point, do you think that you're going to write a third book? Yeah, actually, the third one was supposed to be the second one. And I kept saying, here's the first and here's the third. And people are like, well, where's the second? And I so I just stopped calling it first and third. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> because it was taking me forever to write this book. It's finally really done. Um, I've just been sitting here using these last couple of weeks to go through and do final edits. And... So I always thought there would be three books. What I didn't think was that there might be a fourth or a fifth. I'd love to write a book called The Church. I think of that as the first book. You know, so many people are like, oh, the churches are terrible. You know, and there are all these people, all these hypocrites and gossiping and da-da-da. But that isn't, to me, the church. And so to write The Church would be to write what you're talking about, where people look out for each other and they have a connection with God and they share that connection. I would love to write that book. Okay. Wholeheartedly hope you can do that or I hope you will do that. Not can hope you will do that. Now here goes a serious question. Through everything you do through faith and through God, there's always the naysayers. There's always the people that want to question this and not all scientific method is questioning because some scientific science has logic to it. And the word logic is something that we have to strip away from Christianity. We have to strip away from any morality. I mean, morals, immorality sometimes, because logic is something that's calculated. Our love can't, doesn't have a de definitive number. Our thoughts shouldn't have definitive numbers to them, except in math. So my question to you is, is to a naysayer, to someone that is confused, so that's two different people, what would be the thing that you would tell them today about your love for Christ and how you hear him? Well, Jr., I think in the Bible, Jesus said, try me and see. And so that basically is a scientific method when you think about it. Yeah. And so... I think that we're to avoid contention, but at that at the same time, be bold, right? 
just declared, this is my faith. And it helps that I have a degree in math. And I worked in the high tech industry because nobody argues that I'm incapable of understanding logic. Usually people's brains go dead when you just say the word math. And so, (laughs) yeah, I, I say, you know, I get science and that that has nothing to do with God, except that he is the creator. And so then I can share my experiences with God. And I try to do it in a way that at least has the person who's not sure want to try it. Okay. Now, my final question. Whew, this one's a, a deep one. The word love. Love has so many different connotations in the Bible. Love has so many different Yes methods and modes and means and everything that you can attach to love in the world. At what age did you feel God's love? I would say that at six, when I felt that first time where I felt like I met him, that's what I felt. And then when I would read the Bible, when I was in second and third grade and I was upset, I would go to my room and I would actually read the Bible. I don't know who I'm speaking to here, but that's what I did. And I would feel so calm and reassured. Now, I can lose that feeling and then reconnect to it. But yes, I felt beloved. And I also felt just based on you know growing up that maybe I wasn't worthy to be loved. So it has taken, now I'm 72, JR. I get to declare that I finally get it and I really am loved. So hopefully you'll all get to live that long. Some of you will figure it out sooner. <laughs> and that's a blessing right there in its own. Yes. Now, Margaret, we come to a point of the show, and this is a nostalgia for my show. We have this thing called the shameless plug. Please plug where everyone can find your books. And if you have anything going on inside com, or anything anywhere that you have going on that you would like the audience to know about. Okay. So if you go to inhisfootsteps.com forward slash JR, um, I am going to give away a couple of my books for free autographed. And so if you will go there and sign up for the newsletter and it'll come through that particular page, then I will know they came from your show. And then two weeks after your first show airs, I will pull that up. And you know, JR, if it keeps airing, it keeps airing, people keep entering, every once in a while I'll do it again. Okay. So everybody okay. will get a chance. Like it's been a year since it aired and all of a sudden 50 more people sign up. I'll be like, fine, I'm going to go through you guys and send someone a free book too. Okay. And, and that's amazing there. So once again, audience, my name is JR. I am the host of West Virginia and Commonplace. And today I've had with me Margaret Agard, and she has presented us with a lot of information. She's inform- She's given us a lot of information about who she is, why she's here and her love for God and her intentions with God and how she can help you with God. So, On that note, I'm going to give my quick testimony to who I believe Margaret is. Margaret is a person that has integrity. Uh, It seems like you probably do a lot behind the scenes that people will never know about. Speaking to God, knowing God, and being with God are some amazing things. Not everybody gets that chance because things happen and people don't always get that direct communication to it. So that's one thing that I always want you to hold on to and be very strong in professing your faith and not pushing the faith on people. 
is something that is very amazing because not a lot of people can pursue matters without pushing heavy about our faith. And you choose not to do that. You do it in a great method to encourage, but you're not like shoving the Bible down someone's throat or anything like that. And that's one thing that I can commend. And one thing I do like about you. So thank you for that. And the next, and in, in the, in the, the hard stuff, the, the, the nastiness of life, you talked about divorce. You talked about that life was not easy for you, that you were out here working. You had to get fortified walls put around you because you come from trauma. You come from hurt and being able to express that and tell people about those things that is mind boggling because no one wants to tell about the bad and ugly. They always want to tell about the good and the well periods. And for you to express that and to have it in your books and just to show it means more to me and will mean more to the audience and to anybody that picks up anything from you than you will ever know. Because some people will not have a voice. Some people will not tell about their trauma, but they'll heal from what you have given out into the world. So hug yourself. And that's my, that's my testimony there for you because it's, it's hard. And for you to be able to do that and to own it and keep the acceptance and responsibility of everything that's happened to you, that's mind boggling because most people find ways to, throw it away, put it somewhere, put it in what I call the mem- their memories museum and forget about it. But you don't you have it out there in the public and you're there for people. So I want to thank you very much for that, Margaret. And I want to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, JR. And thank you for that. Those kind words about me. Okay. And everybody, once again, you can check out everything once the show is released on many different podcast platforms. You will definitely find the show up on YouTube at some period. Um, in time because we always like to get the video out there for the people that like to watch the video transcriptions will be a little bit late because we're going to be like around november for this episode coming out so try to have the transcription out before um thanksgiving but if i don't you'll get it before christmas um (laughs) once once again i need you guys to head over to www.inhisfootsteps.com and sign up contact be a part of things and just live your life and don't forget that forward slash JR forward okay. slash JR for, for the book giveaway and everybody tune in and okay. I am JR and we are signing off.